Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Well, gang, good morning. Um, It is so good to be back with you all and to be able to celebrate this morning these awesome baptisms and uh, to continue on our journey through the book of Romans. If you've been with us, you know that over uh, the last really five and a half, six months, we've been working our way through this letter uh, that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and we're coming near the end of that series. So we'll wrap that up next week with Romans chapter 16. Uh, But this week, we're in Romans chapter 15, the words that David just read for us. Now, if you were here back in the end of May, uh, you know that we actually jumped ahead to Romans 15. The reason we did that uh, was because we have a family, uh, the Carr family, Ben and Noel, who were leaving at the time to go serve as missionaries to Indonesia. And so we looked at this beautiful picture of Paul's missional heart uh, for the furthering of the gospel as we sent them to do that very thing in Indonesia. And uh, <clears throat> by the way, I'm just, I'm encouraged. I, I've, I've heard that they, they've left. So they've left the U.S. about three weeks ago. They're in Indonesia. The cars are. Uh, things are going well. They're getting settled in. And I've asked if they could send us a video update. And so I'm hoping to share that uh, in the next few weeks. We'll get an update from them just so we can continue to, to pray for them as we support them in their gospel mission in Indonesia. Um, but this morning, as we're coming back to Romans 15, <clears throat> excuse me, I wanted to maybe take a slightly different angle and just look at what it is that, that kind of seemed to motivate Paul's deep conviction. He, he seems compelled that he must go, in this case, to Spain. He must go beyond where he's gone, beyond where any foundation for the gospel has been, where people have not heard about Jesus. He must go, and he outlines that here in Romans chapter 15. And so I want to look uh, back uh, to understand Paul's calling uh, and look at Jesus' commissioning. So to connect Paul's sense of calling uh, to mission to what Jesus actually commissions his followers to do, including Paul and including us, back in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you want to open your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, Those verses I just read, 16 through 20 from chapter 28. That's where we're going to be this morning. And again, I just think to understand Paul's calling, I want us to understand Jesus' commissioning and what it is that Jesus commissions his followers to do. Uh, These are some of those famous words that Jesus has ever said. Uh, In fact, they're called, you probably see a heading at the top of this section called the Great Commission. Uh, because it holds such an important, proud of place uh, for followers of Jesus. It is a great commission uh, with divine authority and power. The risen Jesus gives his followers a lifetime vision, this huge picture of what it means to follow him as a disciple and on mission with him. And so listen again to what Jesus says. I just want to read his words again. He says, all authority... On heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what we just did. 
and, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's opening up the word, the gospel, the truth of Jesus. And behold, he says, I am with you always. What a promise. Jesus is with us. We gather here in the name of Jesus, which means we are gathered here in the presence of Jesus. God is with us. He promises that he will always be with us to the very end of the age. And so I think you can see the connection between Romans 15 and what Jesus has just said here. Paul's heart is Jesus' heart to go and to make disciples of all nations, all people groups, those who have not yet heard, and to baptize them, initiate them into the life of Jesus, into the church, and to teach them what it means to follow him and to trust him and to love him. And so Jesus' words and Jesus' heart, it's his heart for his disciples to follow him and to tell others about him. And that's what drove Paul. That's what drove Paul, and that's what can drive us as followers of Jesus as well. And so every word in this great commission, uh, I would say, is important. Uh, words like authority, talking about the authority of Jesus. Words like disciple, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to make disciples? Central to Jesus' commission. He talks about the nations. He talks about baptizing. He talks about teaching and, and, and obeying his commands. But this, word, this morning, I want to focus on one word in the commission. Just one word I want to look at together, and it's two letters, G-O. Kids, what does that spell? G-O. Go. All right, can we all say Jesus tells us to go? Okay, good. So go. Jesus says go. Now, that's a really simple word, right? We all kind of understand what it means to go, right? You got in your car this morning and it goed. Don't repeat the grammar, but you get it. We went, right? You go, you go. It's a simple word, but it has a lot of power behind it, right? And so I think because it's a simple word and a powerful word, it brings up lots of different feelings. At least it does for me. When I think about go, uh, I might feel excitement. You know, we just went on a road trip uh, with our family to North Carolina, and, and it was fun. Going was exciting. There was action, adventure. Uh, it also kind of has this idea of, of kind of growth. You know, there's movement. When you're going somewhere, there's a sense of purpose and destination, meaning and significance. And so to go, I would say, is fun. You know, it might stir up excitement. When Jesus says, go, that sounds great. Let's go. But I think it also can stir up feelings like anxiety, right? To go can stir up feelings like fear or insecurity. Hold on, where are we going? <laughs> what do you mean go? Go where? What's going to happen? Is there risk involved in this venture? And so I think to go is fun, but it's also risky, and so it conjures up all kinds of emotions for us when we see Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, say something like, go, go. And so when Jesus says go, we want to understand what is he telling us? What does he mean when he says go? And it reveals something very important, I think, about Jesus' heart and his way of life. And it's something that we cannot miss. We cannot miss. So it's a little word, a powerful word, but I want us to understand what Jesus is saying when he says Go, And maybe to help us as we, as we unpack go, I think it really helps me to understand that this wasn't just something Jesus said to do, it's something he actually did. It's something Jesus himself did. He went, he was sent. Right? So John 3.17 tells us that God, uh, 3.16 says that God sent his son right, into the world to save it. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus set aside heaven 
and was sent into the world to rescue us. And if you look at the Gospels, if, I encourage you, if you've never read through a Gospel start to finish, just pick one, one of the four Gospels, and read through it, and you'll notice Jesus is always going. He's on the move. He's always going to see people, to meet with people, to be with people. And so Jesus models this as an itinerant rabbi in the Gospels. And what's fascinating is he went because the Father sent him, but he went as the Spirit led him. So the Holy Spirit tells him where to go and when to go and how to go. And so he's listening to the Spirit. He went into the world. Go, go, go. That was at the heart of who Jesus was and his mission. And so now this Jesus, who knows what it means to go, he's been living the go life, he now turns to us and he says, you too, go. I want you to go as followers of Jesus. He said that to Paul and he says that to us. So Jesus says, go, but what does he mean, go? Go how, go where? What does it mean for you and me to go? I think Jesus showed us exactly what it means to go. His life is our model for what it means to go. To go means to do what he did. Uh, and so this morning, what I wanna do is I wanna just offer three uh, simple ways that I think Jesus models for us what it means to go, what it means to go. Three ways he calls you and me to go. And the first thing I would say uh, to go means is to be present. When Jesus says go, he means be present. So I'm gonna give you three Ps. I don't do this a lot, but you get three Ps. So hold on to the Ps. The first P is present. Go means presence. God himself told his son Jesus to go into the world. Philippians 2 says he took on the nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He, he went, he entered into our humanity. John 1.14, one of my favorite verses in scripture in all the gospels, says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so of all the ways, I mean, think about this, of all the ways that God could have worked out our salvation, could have revealed himself to us. He chose to send his son to take on flesh and live with us. That's how he chose to reveal himself and to save us. Words were not enough. Signs are helpful, but they're not enough. Only the living, tangible presence of God would do. And so think about what presence means because of what Jesus did. It meant that Jesus walked with people. It means he talked with them. It means he spent time with them. Not just in passing. He, he, he made eye contact. <laughs> he slowed down. He was fully present. He celebrated with them. He wept with them. This is the picture of Jesus in the Gospels. And so the Jesus, they, the people got to know, this Jesus, he talked about life in a way that no one had ever talked about life. And his life matched his words. And this Jesus was a man of strength and humility. He was a man who spoke truth and showed incredible grace and compassion. He was a man who was not impressed by earthly power or wealth. He healed, he called people to repentance. For Jesus, this is what it looked like to be present. It meant to go, to live life alongside those who didn't know him, no matter who they were, where they were, or what they had done. And so you see this in Romans 15. This is what Paul is picking up. And he's saying, I feel called to do the same. 
I will go to those places and those people who have never heard of Jesus, and I will be present with them. Now, being present with people, we do it all the time. We're present with people right now. You'll be present with your family after the service. Maybe you grab lunch, you go home, you're present with coworkers, classmates. But this kind of presence, when we're talking about being present and intentional about the the presence of Jesus in our lives and with others, it, it can be intimidating. It can feel intimidating. There's that E word that makes all of us uncomfortable, right? Evangelism, right? Oh, sharing your faith, telling others about Jesus, bringing him up in conversation over coffee or a beer at the water cooler. Uncomfortable, intimidating, telling others about Jesus. But here are, things, here are two things I wanna give us that I think can help us be present with others as Christ followers that can help us overcome that sense of fear about telling others about Jesus. And the first is this. Being present means you're never alone. You are not alone because what does uh, Matthew 28 tell us? Jesus promises at the end that he will be with us always. Always doesn't mean sometimes. Always means always. He is with us always. He is with us always. And so when we go to tell others about Jesus, Jesus goes with you. In fact, he goes before you. When you are present with someone that doesn't know Jesus, he says, I'm with you. And even though it's not physically that I'm with you, I'm with you as you love that person, as you serve that person, as you talk with them, celebrate with them, and weep with them. Jesus is with you. He's with you now. He'll be with you when you leave this place. He'll be with you when you wake up Monday morning and get ready for work or for whatever you have for the day, he is with you. Here's a remarkable thing that comes with that promise. When we receive Christ in our life, we receive his indwelling Holy Spirit, and he goes with us wherever we are. So what does that mean when you are with someone that doesn't know Jesus? It means that Christ is with them in you. You are literally the embodied presence, the incarnational presence of the living God to the people around you. And so you're not alone. You're not alone. Jesus is with you. And the second thing I think that should give us um, just encouragement when we feel intimidated about being the presence of Christ for others is that not only did Jesus uh, pray for us in the past, which he did, he prayed for his disciples, that they would know that he was with them and that he was praying for them. Romans 8, 34, which we looked at just a few weeks ago, says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing? He is interceding for you and for me. Jesus is interceding for you and for me. He's praying for you, and he's praying for you as you go. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through hard things or I'm facing something that's intimidating, I ask people to pray for me. And when people pray for me, and I know they're praying for me, it's really encouraging and it helps me. So what if, what if you could say, hey, Jesus, would you pray for me? How encouraged would you be to know that he's actually praying for you? That Jesus, the creator of the universe, the creator of all that is, is praying and interceding for you. And so as you go, know that you go covered by the prayers of Jesus, that he's praying for you. So Jesus, this Jesus that's praying for us, this Jesus who's present in us, he was sent to seek and save the lost. And he has sent us to seek and save the lost by being present and telling others about him. Jesus is still revealing himself to others through his spirit. He never stops going. And so he never stops sending us and inviting us to go with him. So where is God calling you to be present? 
Where is God calling you to go? Uh, for some of us, it may be like the cars who felt a call to go overseas, like Paul, to go to Spain, to go to Indonesia, to go where uh, there's a need for unreached people groups. And I wanna encourage you, pray and ask God, is that a call you have on my life? I don't care if you're 15 or 50. God may be calling you to do that. And so ask him, God, would you have me go? But I think for most of us, being present and going means being right where we are, right where we are today, right where you are in your neighborhood, right where you are in your office, right where you are on the golf course, right where you are in school, right where you are in the restaurant after the service today. Go, right? Go and be present right where you are. I will confess, it's so easy to get so busy, I forget where I am. I don't pay attention to what's going on around me. I don't pay attention to the people that are around me, even the people that mean the most to me, and certainly people that God brings across my path that don't know him. And I can be so busy that I miss that. And so maybe this morning just is an invitation uh, to say, okay, I'm not gonna feel guilty about that, but I am gonna feel motivated to pause and say, God, can you help me notice the people around me, who you've sent me to? And so think about your neighbors. Who lives on your right? Think about that family, the apartment or the house right next to you. Who lives on your left? Can you name them? Can you picture their face? Who lives across the street from you? Right? And just think about who God has surrounded you with. Going doesn't need to be to the other side of the world. Going can be the other side of the street or across the driveway. And so what if God's inviting you to reach out to those people? It can be as simple as inviting them over for dinner. Uh, Terrell, um, my predecessor who helped start Apostles, used to say, if you want to see a picture of, uh, of the mission and what God's doing in your life to reach others uh, for Christ, ask the question, who is eating around your dinner table? Who's eating around the table with you? It's a great opportunity to invite people over for a meal, for a cup of coffee, for a beer, and just get to know them. Just get to know them and, and kind of think through, okay, how would Jesus love these people? So be present. It's a privilege to get to walk alongside people with Jesus. It's a privilege. And I wanna ask us to see it that way. Are we living alongside those who don't know Jesus? Hear his words, go. Go to them, live life with them, and love them and share Christ with them. So to go uh, means to be present. Second, um, and quickly, I just wanna say it means to pray. So to go means, the second P means to pray. Jesus was, uh, was always praying. He was praying, he was stopping to pray, he was praying about what he was gonna do next, he was praying for those he was with. Um, Jesus knew, even as a son of God, he couldn't go to people and be the presence of the spirit to those people. God couldn't use him in the lives of those people unless he was listening to his heavenly father. He was always listening, always listening to the spirit. In the gospels, Jesus seems to be on the go all the time and he's constantly praying. Those two things go together. He wasn't too busy going to pray. In other words, he was going because he was praying. He knew where to go and who to talk to. And so if we wanna know how to be present and we wanna know how to go, we need to pray. We need to pray and ask the Lord to help us see the people around us. Maybe that's the simple prayer. Lord, help me to see my neighbors that I've missed. Help me to see my coworker. Help me to see my classmate. Help me to see the people around me that I'm not seeing right now and to pray for them. So I wanna encourage you, this is a practice that, um, that our family has used in the past 
to help us with, uh, with our prayer life. And uh, basically, it's called a relational map. Uh, and what you can do is you basically t- sit down with a piece of paper and you draw a, a few concentric circles, right? And so maybe the inner circle is your family and the next circle out is, uh, is your close friends. And then the next circle out is like your neighbors and your coworkers and other people that are kind of in your life. And what you do is you draw little dots and you label them with the names of the people that are in your life. And then what that serves as is it's a map to pray. It's a relational map to pray. And so you just begin to pray each day through your relational map. And what's amazing to me and what I've seen and what we've seen is as we pray, God moves. As we pray, God moves. Sometimes I'm like, God, I don't see you doing anything and I don't seem to be making any progress and I can't really see any activity. And then it occurs to me, oh, I haven't prayed. <laughs> I haven't prayed about it. And I think it's, it's critical for us if we're gonna be the presence of Christ to those around us, we have to be praying for those around us, praying for them by name. Our prayers are a window into our heart. Your prayers reveal who and what you love. And what's beautiful too is if you pray for people by name, you know what will happen? You'll begin to love them more. It works the other way. I, I love these people and I'm praying for them, but the more I pray for them, the more I will love them and care about them. And so uh, to paraphrase a, a mentor of mine, he, he used to encourage me, he said, if, if, if we are not praying for them, the truth is we won't go to them. We won't go to them because we're busy, because we get focused and distracted on other things. But our prayer life helps us draw our hearts to other people so we can be the presence of Christ to them. And so I want to encourage us to be a church who prays Be a church who prays for those around us because we love Jesus and we love people and because he loves us and he calls us to pray. And so what if this week, here's the challenge, maybe you start with a relational map and maybe that's a lot of people and it feels a little intimidating. Just pick two. Pick two people this week that you can pray for in your life that don't know Jesus. And if they're not two people you can think of that don't know Jesus, pray that God would bring some people in your life that don't know Jesus. But pray, pray for two people in your life who don't know Christ and write their name down in your journal or write their name in the back of your Bible and just begin to pray for them by name and see what God does in your heart and what he does in their life. So to go is to be present. It means to pray. And then finally, it means to persevere. The gospel of John tells us that Jesus was the light who was sent into the world, but it was a, a world that was described as a world of darkness. The light has come into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That's what John 1 tells us, that even though Jesus was in the world, the world didn't know him, the world didn't receive him, there was rejection. And I think we, as we are are people who are sent, who go, um, as people who are praying and being present, we need to be prepared for the fact that we too are entering into a world of darkness that does not understand Jesus and that will reject Jesus. And if we are giving ourselves to him and walking in him and following him, they will reject us too. And maybe, maybe when you came to faith in Jesus or growing up in the church, no one ever told you that following Jesus was going to be hard. And I just want you to know, because it's helpful to understand that it is hard at times. And, and I, I think sometimes when we think, oh, when I follow Jesus, my life's gonna go well, and if I'm, it's not going well, then something's wrong. Actually, when things aren't going well, sometimes it's a sign that things are going right because we're following Jesus and we're putting our trust in him. And that cuts against the grain of the world around us. And so Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus came not only to live with us, but that he came to die for us. 
Uh, again, that he, being in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What motivated him to enter into that darkness? It was his love. His love drove him to persevere, to take on our sin and the punishment we deserve all the way to the cross. So in other words, for Jesus to go was to suffer. For the earliest Christians to go was to suffer. We've seen that in Romans and we see that in Paul's life. For them, martyrdom was possible and even expected. They believed that just as Jesus' suffering and death had accomplished salvation, God could use their suffering and even their death to spread the good news of salvation. And he did, again and again. The blood of the martyrs is indeed, um, so is the seeds of the church. And so to be commissioned to go, uh, it involves suffering, it involves cost. Uh, it is to step into Jesus' words, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We are not all called to be martyrs. Suffering can take many forms. But at a minimum, following Jesus means risking embarrassment, being uncomfortable, being inconvenienced, and being rejected. It means being misunderstood. It may mean being ridiculed. But whatever your form of suffering for the sake of Christ takes, I can promise you it will be costly and it will be worth it. It will be costly and it will be worth it. Over the last two years, um, our culture has become more and more polarized than any of us have ever seen. Um, and in the midst of that, uh, it's become very confusing and there's a lot of hostility at lots of levels. But that includes hostility towards the Christian faith in particular. Um, and so many of us have experienced uh, a new sense of this, uh, of suffering and rejection and loss of relationships. I know we've experienced this in our neighborhood. Uh, people that we were friends with pre-pandemic, uh, those relationships, many of them have been lost. And it's because things that were kind of differences of opinion before the pandemic uh, are now seen as deeply offensive and divisive. And so people are withdrawing. And we're seeing this all over. People are pulling away from each other and being divided. And it's meant that we've had to grieve some things that have been lost, some relationships that have been lost. Um, but here's the thing, God's call to us is the same. Even if the world is acting crazy and being hostile and divisive, our call remains the same. Our call is to not give up, to not give up on our neighbors, even if they're hostile and reject us, to not give up on those people that disagree with us, even if they deride us or they cancel us. Our call is to pray for our neighbors and to love our neighbors and to serve our neighbors. It's not to allow ourselves to become resentful and walled off and cloistered in a Christian ghetto. And so I think we have to be really mindful that there will be rejection and we have to persevere. We have to persevere. If we're going to answer Jesus' call to go and to live with people and to love them, we should expect to suffer and we should uh, expect the need to persevere. Uh, we push through suffering. We ask God to use our suffering to help make us more like Jesus and more dependent on his spirit. And so I don't know what you're facing right now in your life. You may be facing some, um, some obstacles, uh, some pushback, some resistance in your life uh, around what it means to follow Jesus. You may be feeling like, I'm not sure which way to go. I'm not sure which way to lean on a particular issue or a question. And I just want to encourage you uh, 
um, that following Jesus will come at a cost, and it will require perseverance, and it will require taking risk. And so another question just to consider this morning as we seek to go is where in your life are you taking risk for Jesus? Where in your life are you feeling pushed beyond your comfort zone and having to trust him with who you are and the future of your life? To go is to persevere. So three Ps. To go is to uh, be present, it's to pray, and it's to persevere. Jesus is calling us to go. He's calling us to do these things, to be present, to pray, and to persevere. Where is he calling you to go? What does that look like? Who is he calling you to? Think about the people in your life. Make that relational map. Commit to praying for two of them and see what God does as he sends you out to seek and save the lost, to participate in the work of proclaiming the gospel with him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you loved us enough to go. Lord, that you came from heaven to earth. Lord, that you gave up all the glory of heaven and took on human flesh or that you dwelt among us and that you call us to do the same. To go, Lord, means to be with people, to be present. It means to pray for them. I pray you would put people in our hearts to pray for. Lord, and that you would give us the strength to persevere, to be bold in our faith, to be compassionate to our neighbor, to love even those who persecute us or that we would persevere in the proclamation of the gospel in word and deed. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.